0: Hi, this is the Rupee Ball Show, and I am your host, Yogi Morya. Thank you for joining me today. Today, I welcome Simon Rushton. Simon Rushton currently lives in London and also spends quite a bit of time in Kenya. Simon has spent 10 years managing commercial construction. He was a site manager and has a bachelor's degree in construction. and Something that's even more interesting than that, he was 12 years in the military as a Royal Marine Commando. And then he spent five years as private maritime security. And now, as I said, kind of splits his time between the UK and Africa. And he hosts a show called uh, Africa Real Investors Stories, which is all about investing in Africa. Simon... Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're doing well.
1: Yes, I am. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, uh, Simon, you know, what caught me about your background is the Royal Marine Commando. Tell me, what is that, first of all? And how did you, you know, become well, a Marine officer?
1: To break it down, the royal obviously is in reference to the royal family, and the marine is the fact that we work on the ships. Traditionally, since sixteen sixty four, we've been around. We've been around some good couple of hundred years, and our role was to protect um, the captain and the higher echelon of the crew from the crew really because there'll be a lot of mutineers wow. and we got a nickname called bootnecks because what we w- used to do is we had those, those leather boots that you see women, excuse, those leather boots you see um, women wear today were traditionally right. designed for men. And you cut the top of the leather boot off and it's a real hard leather. You wrap that right. around your neck. Right. So what happens when the crew come to mutiny, They would slice your neck from the back, right from the back, front of your neck to the back, obviously being cutthroat. And the idea was that the lever was so tough that they wouldn't be, you wouldn't get your neck cut. That's what you call bootnecks.
0: Interesting.
1: Um, Then we became sharpshooters as well. Okay. So when you see the pirate movies, Pirates of the Caribbean, those kind of things, you would go up in the sails and we'd aim down and, picked targets as we well was getting in closer right. um, onto the rival ships. And um, after that, after moving forward in time to Second World War, not the First World War, it we, the army actually created commandos. And the marines were seen as a poor man's army because if you're going back again in time when you were press ganged, so you were you know a drunken sailor or whoever and you was knocked over the head and put on a ship. So you became part of this fraction. So it's really poured down and out and it's a rough, rough side of, you know, rough man's military. Right. A bit like the Foreign Legion. And then when the Second World, going back to the Second World forward to the Second World War, we had um commandos. And for some reason the hierarchies of Parliament and non monarchy, let's say, um, decided that we would fit that role because we were amphibious, so we became amphibious soldiers. And then, prior to after that, when the Cold War hit, we became Arctic warfare soldiers. So um, we were able to work in really cold climate. Part of our trainings in Norway, and we—I've also been to the Falklands, which is really cold. There's no trees on the island. It's in the middle of the um, lower Pacific and then um, we also have the ability to be jungle trained we traditionally we did our jumps which is jumping from planes and um, there's a special forces section of us which is known as the SBS um, the special boat service that's our equivalent to the SAS which is the special air service which is for the army um, But that's how our name comes around if you look at our logo the logo is basically showing the whole world because, as we all know, the sun has never stopped shining on the British Empire. So basically, through this conquering the world through ships and wars on the ships, in essence, the Marines have conquered the whole world in that sense of thing. So that's what our global laws. The laws go back to um, the Roman period of time. And there's some other signatures uh, that represent rules and etc the crown so um and,
0: i mean that's obviously a lot of history and tradition uh in the the royal marine forces um what inspired you to to join and become a marine
1: well to be honest i started off army i, I joined the ta and right. i wanted to be uh, sorry the ta is the territorial army so like a bit like a american reserves was right. and sundays kind of thing and tuesday So you go there on the weekend and one evening a week and you do the training and if they need you, they take you away um, for a campaign, let's say, whether it's Afghanistan, Iraq, something like that. So I started off that and actually what happened, motivationally, I was standing up in a place called Brixton and I was with my cousins and there's lots of their friends who were, let's say, they're just drug dealers kind of thing. And they were speaking about how, they went to this chain in military thing. There's throwing grenades and shooting guns and all the things that young... so you know, late teens uh, at that age, um, a teenager would love to do. So I looked at them and thought, well, if they can do it and they don't look like they have one brain between all of them, um, I surely would be able to do it. Obviously, I didn't tell them this. So okay. I managed to convince one of them to take me to the base. And then... Um, you convinced one of them well, to take you to the base. Yeah, to the base to, to enroll and show me okay. what it's all about. But right. I had gone to the air cadets and um, all these. Air, we have like a children's military, which is air cadets, army cadets, right, and navy cadets. So I had been to the navy and the air cadets when I was a child, but I didn't stay long. So now, obviously, I'm more of an adult, and this guy's taking me there. He ended up going to jail, but I stayed in. Right. From there, I just worked my way up. I did all the courses. I turned up to all the weekends and everything. And now this was, I can't remember what year it is, but I remember Kosovo was on. I'm not sure if you're, Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know your age, but
1: there's a Kosovo campaign. And I was going to go to join, I was going to become regular. There's an old uh, regimental sergeant major, and he had the old, real kind of empire moustache that curls at the end. Sure, you know, I believe India's, you know, has the same kind of moustaches. And I had not got a letter saying that I've accepted to university. Right. So it was a toss up between going to university or going to fight a war and going to Kosovo. And I wasn't the best soldier there. I was very fit. I was super fit for my age. There's an old, there's a, a guy who's probably, I don't know, about 10 years older than me and he was ex-Foreign Legion and he was complaining about his knees all the time and I didn't understand what his problems was. But he had been Chad and Djibouti and done all these nighttime missions and stuff. And, and now I know, now, now I'm in my 40s, that, yeah, your body burns out. So right. um, going back, to, yeah, going back to, so I just moved on from there. I just moved on from there right. in the sense of, um, doing the training, and then I said to the sergeant, um, "Do I go? to What would you do in my position? Should I go to do my degree or go to Kosovo?" And he said, "The British military will always be fighting wars. We haven't had a one day in history where we haven't fought some kind of campaign. Um, We've just constantly been fighting. Go and get your degree." And I'm sure, and he said, "I'm sure as I stand here today." When you finish your degree, there'll be a war for you to fight. And um, I listened to him. And that was probably the best advice I ever really got from the military at that point. Right. Um, I went, went away, did my degree. I stayed in the reserves, but I wasn't as committed because I was more focused on my degree. And then when I came out, I thought, wait, let me get back into the military. Let me right. get back into And I wanted to go in there as an engineer. I wanted to do like the part time, the same thing, and it didn't. And, and the place I wanted to go was really far. Right. And so I kind of knocked that on the head. I just thought, all right, let me just because the money they would be offering as well wouldn't match what I was after my four years of studying. Sure. So I just went into commercial construction. So I went into commercial construction. And I did that for ten years, and then after after that, I thought this is boring. Let me go into the Marines. And um, I went and did the Marines RMR, which is the reserves equivalent, like the TA. And then I just went full-time for a period of time. And then I went, you know, with the Marines, I went to, where is it, Um, Afghanistan twice. I've been to Norway. Like I said, the Falklands. You go all over. You go all over. It's interesting. And it's... um, it's a real experience. It's all about your mindset. Right. Uh, I'll give you, for instance, they say, we, we shouldn't have to motivate you. You should come motivated. Just tell me As more well, about There's that. no point being here.
0: Tell me more there's about There's no point that.
1: being here. Yeah. They have it on the advert. They had a, a slogan, 99.99% need not supply. So what they're saying really is if you're not sure you want to do this, you don't. Sure. You've really got to want to do this. And um, that, is, that was deep because that's when you really have to look at yourself and say, Simon, why are you here? When you're cold and wet yeah, and you're lost in the dark. Um, we used to do these exercises where we would, um, let's say we have to do, find different checkpoints at two in the morning in the English countryside. And they always managed to find the, the areas where it's hilly, it's muddy. And if there's any tracks, <laughs> there's loads of sand, so you're slipping backwards. And there's these deep forests that like look like they're haunted. And there's obviously no lights there's, you may get moonlight if it's not foggy.
0: So when you and, encounter um, something like this, did, did any doubt creep through your mind? Like you just said, like, why did I choose to do this? Or did um, you, did one you just t- plow ahead.
1: Yeah, it's like, I think wow. you, you may question, for me personally, I can't speak for other people. You have a moment where you look at yourself and you think, what am I doing here right now? Right. And then you have, and then in this, in this, like, I always say it's the devil and the angel. The devil will tell you something negative on your right hand shoulder, the angel will tell you something positive. So when I came to do the Forest navigation. It was a case of, what am I doing in this forest? And before you go, you have to get wet. So they make you roll, sit in a lake, or roll around in a lake, so you're all wet. It's nighttime, so it's definitely cold. Yeah, and so, now you're off. You go. Yeah. You so you've got to remember your drills. You basically? Yeah. You. Yeah. And your boots. So you've got to. You've got. It's about mind over matter. But there's that saying, "Train hard, fight easy." Do you see what I mean? Good one. I and like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like um, I watched uh, that basketball guy who just died. Was it Kobe or something? Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Now, he had a very hard work effort in the sense that he would train so hard, you know, beyond the point. I remember he said, Mike, was it some other basketball player saw him training and he trained, it, trained two hours extra just to psych that guy out, just to show him he can do it. Even though he was exhausted right. and he'd been training an hour prior, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to put yourself in these predicaments where you know your life's not on a, on on in jeopardy to push yourself beyond these limits. Because once you're used to that, and you do go to war or any major conflict, it becomes much easier. Because I've been here before. Right. It's like for joggers pushing the barriers, running through the wall. If yep. you, I know my wall, I have a wall that's four miles, six miles, and 12 or 13 miles. If I only jog to the wall because it's too painful now or whatever, or shin splints, I will never get to enhance my performance. Did you? Do you see what I mean?
0: Right. Now, you've you've said that you you came in with the mindset that you wanted to be there, and mm-hmm. that all their marketing is don't come here if you don't really want to be here. mm mm-hmm then you're going through the training and you're you know you're having to confront all these conditions which are meant to prepare you for a potential armed conflict situation that's live where your life is at risk and the life of your fellow soldiers could be at risk was it a process of constant training constant training and getting better did, did did you experience that you evolved over time?
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be a process. You're not going to obviously wake up one day and be yeah, I'm, you know, shazam, I'm superhuman kind of thing. Right. You're 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 developing. It's um, you're developing. I I also put reasoning in things. It's like when we um, going back to the navigation test at night. When you're in the middle, when you're going into that forest, you think, I oh, know, I've got to go through there. And you start to think of every horror movie or any little thing. It's like, well, I've got to get through there. And unless there's a bear, I'm going to be the scariest thing in the bushes. You know, I'm a big black man. I'm six three or what have you. I'm in peak position, um, physical position um, right now. And um, you just kind of justify and motivate yourself on you've got to have a, that's why you have to have the will because when you have the will, you can find a way of motivating yourself to do the things you wouldn't normally do. If you see what I mean. And, then, and um
0: yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's fascinating and it's, it's so, uh, you know, it's, it's inspiring and, and it's something I admire is the willpower that the, armed servicemen all over the world have. Um, talk to me about discipline. What does that um, mean for a, for a Royal Marine commando?
1: Well, Royal Marines are known to, known to be really hygienic, always having showers. We call them Dobies, it's an Indian word. Um, and because obviously on a ship, you need to be hygienic. one person gets sick, everybody gets sick. Right. So. So that's discipline in itself. You know, you you never do fizz as a physical exercise in your uniform. You always have some a vest and some shorts and a pair of trainers that you can do some exercises quickly. But you always exercise at least once a day. Right. It doesn't have to be vigorous exercise, but it has to be something, even if it's tick over fizz, Do you understand? A, sh- a small right. jog. On our fitness test, we have to jog... Um, a mile and a half and it's different at different age groups but, I, my, but you've got boots on and you've got the combat trousers at your belt and a um, t-shirt and you have to jog that mile and a half in um, what is it nine and a half I think depending on your age group but I always aim for nine minutes the sergeant said anything under nine minutes is not interested anything over nine minutes he's not really interested in you meaning you're going to be doing it again every day for the rest of the week so <laughs> right. So that's basically what you're talking about six minute miles in boots that's what you're really looking at um, because if you're coming down to nine minutes and it's never on flat ground it's always uphill and downhill and things like that and you always do a mile and a half warm up prior to it you do a mile and a half warm up and then as soon as you get back the last man's in it's go did and you ever
0: have to push you know one of your fellow soldiers.
1: Yeah, I had to kind of drag some people along, right? Or I had to just talk talk crap for like um. Let's say we're doing a a yomp, which is like um, it's carrying a bergen, a big backpack like you go hiking with on your back, and you're just going up and down the English countryside. I think you know was it? Uh, you meant to do four miles in. I think four miles an hour or something like that and but these bergens are what 62 kilograms or something like that so they're not light it's like carrying us yeah i've ha- had to i could see some people a week so i just talk whatever whatever kind of crap comes in your mind and just to take the pain off right do you see what i mean because it's sure. like the person says, doctor doctor my head hurts so the doctor kicks him in the bollocks and says, "Does so your head still hurt now? And he's <laughs> like, you You can just change, you change the avenue of pain at a thought process, then you're going to be able to carry on in that how, respect.
0: Uh, how important was teamwork?
1: Our team, teamwork's everything. Everything. Um, I always admire militaries around the world. Um. Proper when I say proper militaries, I mean militaries that really are a team, because you've got some militaries and they're not teams. But um what I say is that they take people from all different walks of life, they put them together for a period of time. On a regular army I think it's like eight weeks or something, on the Marines it's thirty-two weeks. Yeah. And you make you put all these people together and by the end of the Training period, you've got people who are willing to die for each other, regardless of their race, regardless of their cultural background or their religious beliefs, and that is phenomenal. Now,
0: what 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 is it? Why is that? Why is that?
1: It's pain and suffering. You see it. I'm a big fan of pain and suffering because I believe, and when I say that, I mean for adults. You know, they say the saying goes: people over 25 are Actually, hard to teach anything because they start to become stuck in their ways, um, or they believe they know it all. But when you, um, if you get, get get a group of people, and um, I think of it like this: everybody knows America's very divided in race and different groups. But after their 9/11 situation, they all pulled together, right? Do you, do you see what I mean? Because they all had a one common common goal of we've got to go and defeat these people or we need to protect each other regardless of our differences you're from the same area as i am you're from new york or whatever and in that same respect so when you have that common goal the sergeant is usually your common enemy Uh, (laughs) the term that he will use means stand by and stand by means if um you're going to get a punishment but I'm not going to think of it now. I've just not noted down that you need a punishment. So, at the time when you least want it, and that time will come about, that's when it's going to crop up. So, it gets to the point. Um, I'll give you an example. This combines in with timekeeping as well and self discipline. When you are told to be somewhere at a certain time, you have to be there a minimum of five minutes early, a minimum, Eight. suited and booted in whatever you've been told to wear and just be there because the detail could change. So in real life scenario, let's say um, there's an there's an attack going on somewhere. Your guys have gone in to seek out some people, somebody right. in the, let's say in the Marines. Right. And let's say Alpha gone, gone out there. You may be Charlie and you've been told to, um, stand down but be ready and be here at such and such a time because we're going to give you an update right now if you are late and you're the signaler signaler guy and you and alpha's in trouble and there's a helo as in helicopter waiting to take you there but you're late the helicopter waiting can't go because the people can't go because there's only one signaler that means the people in Alpha are going to start dying because they're in a sticky place already. Right. So you learn to be on time. Now, with the millennial generation, PlayStation generation, they don't really they don't really deal with responsibility too well. <laughs> so you have to motivate them. Now, because of let's say um, political correctness, you can't the old giving someone a punch or a kick. Right. You can't really do that anymore. But no. We, so, I mean... So, um, what, what happens now, they can tell you, be there five minutes early. Right. And if you're not, they say you stand by. And here, just find a way of making your life hell when you least expect it. Um, and it can be done in many ways. Or, like I saw with this guy who was late to the range, he was told to break the ice in the lake... go and sit down in the lake as the lake was starting to freeze up around him. Now, I would swear to God that the sergeant forgot he was in the lake. And um, (laughs) he, when he turned about five or so minutes later, he turned around and told, um, you know, marine bollocks, come here, kind of stupid bollocks, come here. And the guy, I never knew that he's a white guy. And He had changed, he had gone purple, green. He'd done all these different colors and his lips were like real, and he was going, and he goes, are you gonna be late again? No, no. (laughs) (laughs) And and then he said, all right, go off and sort yourself out. And you know, I looked at that guy and I thought, I'm never going to be late. (laughs) I'm never going to be late. And um, you know, It's just that kind of motivation on your personal, sorry, on your personal scale, you have to look like this. If I don't do what I am meant to do, what's the consequences? So let's say you, you're a football coach. You've got a football team. If I'm a player on your team and I don't come to practice and I don't get super fit and I'm a striker, it doesn't matter if the defense passed me the ball or the midfield. I can't perform to my maximum capacity, therefore I'm Absolutely letting down the team. True. Absolutely
0: Do you understand? true. Now I
1: have to answer to the team. Now I can be arrogant and say, I don't care, or just try and goal hang, but it's not the way the thing happens goes. all and the time manifest- in football, and the agent yeah. comes
0: and defends the player most yeah. of the time. It's, <laughs> a,
1: it's a manifestation of who you are, and then people wouldn't not like you. Right. You understand? So even if you're good, they'll keep you on for a period of time, but when they have find that better person you'll get dropped like a hot potato so and then it's self-respect if you have any self-respect self-dignity then why on earth would you want to let the team down i of don't course. want to be that guy How? I want um, be that
0: you know you were talking about some live combat situations how do you get yourself ready under you know it's like short notice
1: well for a start You always have your kit ready for, if you're in a um, hostile environment, you always have your kit ready, your weapon ready. So if I go back to training, when you come back, you may have spent the last 36 hours or a whole week out there in the forest, in the mud. When you come back, you don't go to sleep. You shout. you clean up all your kit. You take your boots off, you wash them, you scrub them, you polish them all over. Um, you get them ready, you clean all your equipment, you hang it up to dry, all those kind of things. Then you wash yourself. Then you can, you can rest, I'm assuming your stuff is hang, drip drying. If it's right. not and it's dry, it's ready, you repack your burger and ready. and you can sleep. Do you understand? But then yeah. you always have a uniform ready to go. So let's say um, the sergeant or corporal comes in the room and says, um, The RSM wants to see you. You 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 just know boots trousers shirt off you, beret, off you go, right? And um, that's it. So they it's just it's that kind of everything comes about self discipline and pre planning. Like to this day, if I'm going to bed, I don't leave my wallet and my keys and everything in on the desk and uh, my belt. I I decide what I'm going to wear and I put everything in the pockets I need. Right, And then the trousers and the belt. And I have everything hanged. That's what I'm wearing in the morning. So if, let's say, somebody came in and they, they could see that, yep, this is what Simon's wearing tomorrow. There's right. no thing. It's whether it's on the chair, whether go. it's just segregated, yep. just ready to go. And I won't. And it's the same thing with my list to do. I'd update the list of what I didn't do that day, give myself a bollocking for it. But I'd also state what I'm doing tomorrow. Right. Do you understand? And I made that list realistic. There's no point me piling on so many things that I can't achieve that. And I'm just trying to make myself feel good. Because, how, um, uh, we've got...
0: um, Tell me about fear. You know, your lives are on the line. H- how did you deal with fear?
1: Well, my only real thing of fear, I would say, was actually more in training than out there in Afghanistan because I don't like heights. And going back to construction, right. a lot of the construction sites were, let's say, four stories higher and they've got the scaffold around the, the structure. Right. And I have to go up and walk around the site. I have to go every corner of the site and view it like so many times a day to make sure things are safety and people are doing what they're doing. So I used to practice going up and walking around and trying to look confident because you don't want to look weak in front of the guys. These are big old men you're working with. Right. Now forwarding that to the Marines, when we're doing our commando test, there's a zip line you go down. I don't know, the zip lines are really high, 30 40 foot high, goes right. down to another point. It's probably in length, I don't know, maybe a hundred metres, I'm not sure. But you just throw one rope over, like, and you just slide down. You you dip the rope in water because it's rope against rope. It needs to have some water, so it just starts a fire, kind of starts to burn. You slide down. Now, I was very nervous, but I just told myself, well, the sergeant and his mates are down there, and everybody else is there, so I've just got to do this. So, the funny thing is, I went up there, I was getting ready to jump on this line off the thing, and I felt a tap on my shoulder. And the corporal goes, You might want to put that over the rope. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went, I was, so, I was so determined to do what I'm told. I actually forgot to do the main figures. Yeah. And he said, That would have been a funny one, isn't it? See, you splattered on the floor. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what was below that line? What was Nothing. down below?
1: Well, the ground. It's not tiddlywinks, it's the ground. You, can, If you don't hold on, you fall. That's your fault. Do you understand? Mm. And this this is what I like about um, that kind of lifestyle, is that your accountability, if you don't do what you're told, don't start to look for people to blame. It's not about that. You're given the tools. That's. It's a bit like you with your football team. You, you give your team the tools that they need to have you give them the boots, the t-shirts, the shorts, and the laces and whatever else, shin guards. I can't really think what else is in football. Um, it's about you know, I mean, that's about it. That's all you need, and yeah. some space. Yeah, and you <laughs> space, and you you explain, you tell people where their faults are and how they can improve, and then they must go out and execute those tools, execute the game with those tools. And um, if they don't, then that's not your, it's not your issue. It's them. Do you understand? So if they get dropped from the team or benched like a substitute then they've got to speak to themselves and it's so going back sorry going back to the fear so i'm deviating it's i just i just thought let me get on and do it And so yeah. i just did it there are certain points where we have to do cliff scaling cliff scaling and ladder climbing over a cliff, up a cliff and fast roping and that really um That really made you realize what God you serve kind of thing. Sure. Um, But I would say this in the sense of fear on the battlefield, when we was first shot up on patrol and this guy, and one of the sections had gone forward to talk to all the locals and the locals didn't want to come out. And then another guy came with a tractor and dropped some sandbags in the middle of our position. And it didn't, I thought it was funny, but it didn't occur to me really what was going on. And that was a marker point. And um as he drove off and got around the corner on his tractor, leaving these big bags or I don't know, was sand not they're like sandbags, but more like rice or something. But um then the shots started to come our way. And i I moved really quickly into um I'd actually slumped Leaning on this big piece of equipment called ECM. It's it's very heavy and it's like the size of my back from my and waist up to my shoulders and the same width. So I was leaning on that, sitting down, kind of slumped, like um actually real bad drills to be honest. <laughs> and when these rounds started to come in, I spun around that so quickly, it's unbelievable. And I kind of just empty well empty, well. Yeah, probably did. Empty the magazine in the round in the area the rounds were, um coming from from where I was hearing them coming from, but that wasn't fear. That was just really good training in a sense of reaction, reacting right. to um something. So it's just like um with your players, if someone passes the ball, even if it's on the street, they kind of they go into this autopilot. You know, right. grab control the ball, looking up at the same time. Instincts see take over. They run. Yeah, seeing whether they run, pass, and, you know, it's just like that. And, um, yeah, that's just how... If you had to give uh, a player
0: one piece of advice of how they should approach training, what would it be?
1: First thing I'd say is why are you there? Right. Because if you're just there for fun and games, then my advice is going to be pointless. Because it's just a case of just enjoy yourself. If you really want to win the league, even if you don't want to become a professional football player, but you want to win the league, not just for you, but for your team and your coach and everything, then, yeah, turn up to the practices, study the game. Study study the... um, Take it seriously. Study the other players, as in the, the other players that you're going to play. So what do you, other teams that you're going to play in the league. Watch their games. Everything's on YouTube now. Watch their games. See how they position. Find out who's in your, who you're going to be confronting all the time, whether you're midfield or descend. So if you're a defender, you're going to be dealing with the striker a lot. Right. Find out what he likes to do. Is he a fast guy? Is he um, kind of calculated? Does he like to do the old Maradona and try and take on every player on the pitch? All these things, yeah? And most of all, be fit. Because even if you're a bad player, if you're fit, you can at least pressurise the guy. Yeah, absolutely. You can run with him, you know? Absolutely. And, um, yeah, and that would be my thing. But if you're not serious, if if you're just there because mummy wants you to be there because she, likes to be to, she wants to be able to say you're in... Um, the local football team and blah, 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 and you'd rather be playing Call of Duty, then just ask to be put on the bench or just try and have a word with your mum. You, Do you know, see man. what I mean? Don't waste people's my time. my kind of guy,
0: Simon. My kind yes. of thinking. There aren't too many of us left right now, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, that's how I think. Um, and that's how our club works um, today. we. Uh, we support that kind of thinking doesn't mean they shouldn't have fun, but you know, be competitive, have the desire to be competitive. And that means like you said, come ready to work and prepare, prepare every detail you can, you know? Mm. So when it happens, uh, it's like you said, training is harder with, than practice than, than the actual game.
1: With the younger age group, I don't know how, what's your age group for your team?
0: Uh, we have uh, under 13, under 15, under 18, and then the professional team is, you know, pretty much players are anywhere from 17 up to third above 30.
1: See, that's quite hard because with the young, young guys, they're still, in essence, suckling at their mommy's titty kind of thing. <laughs> so, they, uh, so my way of dealing with that would be, you're trying to pair them up with the older guys. They're so saying, "Look at what yeah. the older guys are doing," and then the, the older guys kind of become a mentor. And then the older absolutely. guys becoming a mentor, they want to be more responsible, and you know, more of a thing. And so, allow them to do the work for you. Do you understand? It's absolutely, more absolutely. Yeah, and that's where that kind of punishment situation of telling the guy to sit in the lake comes in. All right, do I have to run around and shout? At you make you do press ups and sit ups. Or should I just put you in the lake and make you think? Because you're naturally gonna start thinking. You're gonna think this is this is cold. I'm wet. <laughs> I can feel something <laughs> scrawling round my trousers. Do you understand? You're gonna to start to contemplate everything, you know, and and then you're gonna have a word with yourself. So it's about getting people to acknowledge their their own predicament and stuff like that. Because um in the real world We're all accountable for our own actions. And we see that from when we go for a job.
0: Absolutely. If you don't meet
1: the standard, you're just not a winner. And that's it. There's no medal for losing or coming second place. It's just to win. Did you win? And even in the Olympics, you get bronze and silver. But do you remember who won the silver? Who won the bronze? I never know. It's Just the gold. You either won or you didn't. You was either there and you won.
0: Got you. Got you. Got mean. me fired up, Simon. I like it. Um, <laughs> now, so listen. You've got this podcast you host, which is uh, I find personally interesting because I have my in-laws all from East Africa, and um, one of my best friends actually married a girl from Kenya. So I had a chance to go down there, and uh, you've got this show, Africa Real Investors Stories. And, you know, you're, you're highlighting uh, people who've invested in Africa. And, you you know, tell me about the show and, and why you kind of started it. And,
1: you know, give us some details. I, I started this show, actually, I was seeing somebody. And she said to me, based on your experience, um, so I lived in Kenya for, well, five years i lived there for five years but i had a place there for like 10 years because i used to work doing anti i used to do the anti-piracy work which is like we call it pirate hunting for fun but um, right. so we was on the ships stopping the pirates from attacking the ships right and um, that was private security work and yep. then instead of going home i used to go to kenya to Mombasa so it's a coastal place and the ship would stop there anyway so it saved me all the agro of getting on a plane and getting taxis and what have you so I rented a place and the rent there was very cheap it's like a hundred pounds for the month or something ridiculous and and, um so I just bought a washing machine and everything and put it in there and then that was like my little place to be and um so when I came I in time I started some businesses there and then I um, came back to England. And um, yeah, and then when I came back to England, like I said, I met this this lady and then she said to me, why don't you start up a consultancy company? Because when I speak about investing and things, she seems like, I and how to do business and way to get around things. She said, you've got a, a very good idea, very uh, how it should be. And I felt, no, no, that's not for me. I don't see myself when I'm speaking publicly or anything like that. But one thing led to another. And about, I don't know, six, eight months, however long later, I found myself on the business accelerator course of London Real. And then I did that. but I wasn't as serious as I should be. And I had a lot of other things going on personally. And um, then I've come on this broadcast yourself And a big part of that is all about podcasts. I wasn't aware it was all about podcasts, to be honest. I was just like, yeah, broadcast yourself is just about talking. So that's probably something that will help me in speaking to people. And um, so just to go back to Kenya there, what we found is that that I bumped into a lot of expats from all over the world, Australia, the Caribbean, America, and, and all various places in Europe. And what I noticed, they all had a story to tell. And some came there as um, looking like under NGOs or yeah, just having been employed. Others come there with their own money and is going to start up some form of business. <laughs> but we all came together based on the fact that we had um, experiences, whether good or bad, and we come together under that. And it occurred to me that when I came back to England that, I see lots of South Americans and I see a lot of their businesses and they kind of have these consultancy points. Excuse me. They have these consultancy points uh, where they can go to somebody and he can translate everything for them. He's he's from South America as well. And he can translate everything and he can tell them the best way to get around things. And I thought that's what you really need for investors in Africa. And obviously English being a, very proper language or a language of business, it will become um, prof- profitable in the long term, and you're just actually doing a good thing because you're you're the negative sides of Africa you're avoiding for allowing people to avoid and, and you're helping them on the positive because people don't. There's two sides of investing in Africa. One's like the corporate, kind of a bit like a colonialist when you're just mining everything and taking it out of the country. Now, unless you're a big corporation. And you've got ties with the government of the day, you can't do that anymore. And right. there's a, because they they protect themselves. Regardless, they protect themselves quite well, you know. And um, uh, the other side is just the private investor, even if it's a corporation, he's still somewhat of a private investor. So what we what this podcast is about is just sharing stories. That's why it's called Africa Investors Stories. Excuse me. Yeah, that's why it's called Africa Investors Stories. And it's just people from around the world who've invested in Africa, whether it's through labour or charity work, so to speak, or actually taking their money and investing, whether in agriculture, housing, or major things like infrastructure. And they're just telling their stories. And in telling their stories is the hope that people get a, a neutral point of view instead of the Fox News and the BBC and the CNN, they're actually hearing a genuine point of view from somebody. Sure. And, you know, I've bumped into um, quite a few people now who've invested in Africa, and it's interesting to hear their concepts. There always are certain things along certain lines, but um, even that, if, if you look at the whole investment process... You have to have the kind of right mindset of get up and go and doing things and self discipline. As well as you're just gonna lose all your money. So, um Right. So ev things overlap each other all the time. Now there for us, um, there is a corporate side to what we do. The podcast is more of the social side for the private individual and uh excuse me. And sorry, the, there's a corporate side which we have is actually called I Supply Africa, And that's where we look at consultants who could invest, who are doing something in, let's say, in England. And we say to them, why don't you manufacture that, have an Africa division? Because your product may come from Africa anyway. As in, and why are you manufacturing that in England or Japan or wherever? It's going to be much cheaper with the labour if you manufacture right. that. You don't have to finish... Because there's import-export laws. So if the product's unfinished, then when you export it, you're not going to pay so much high tax. Now, for instance, there's many Indian um, manufacturing companies who manufacture lots of clothing. And so same with the Chinese, and they do it in Africa now. But the the label says made in um, China. So what they do, they allow the label to be sewn on in China – but the material um, where, let's say, it's sourced in Africa and the is built in Africa, but because the label's not on, the product's not finished. Right. So you get into sew in China, so you can assure your quality assurance, and then you send it wherever you're going around the world. Sure. Do you understand? Of course. So there's loads of different ways. Um and like you um, have to look at what...
0: So... Um, you know, how long have you been doing the show now
1: Well <laughs> the show's real new. The show's a couple of weeks um in, so the idea we'll be launching two podcasts every week. Sometimes I will just be telling people about my own personal experiences, but obviously people could get <laughs> bored of just hearing the one voice, and it's good to have variety, so I'm always bumping into people. There's some people who've invested, um, who live in England but have invested in, let's like, say, a pig farm in Ghana. So right. he he just he, he just uses um, the Wi-Fi, as in CCTV set up on the farm, and the local villager who runs the farm. Any problems, he can WhatsApp message anytime, day or night, or do a video message, and things just it's so much easier, rather than. Really? Um, the other days where you had to be taking flights all the time right so um and and this man he's got four children so he's quite got his hands full in england anyway uh, sure and so and he's really family orientated but that's a podcast oh that's one of the podcasts um that was launched last week his name is oh yeah last week yep His name's Edwin, Edwin Mensah. So that was an interesting podcast. We just have a variety of different kind of people and different stories to tell. So
0: Simon, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing so much about your background and being so candid. I love your approach to committed mindset, being prepared, disciplined, and being in it to win it or go home. And um, um, all the best with the show and uh, I look forward to, to speaking with you again. Thank you so much,
1: Simon. You're welcome and thanks for having me on the show. And just to let everybody know if they do want to find me, I'm on Spotify, iTunes and Anchor on the podcast and it's Africa. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram. Or you could even find me, Simon Rushton, through my LinkedIn. But the general name is Africa Stories. Sorry, Africa Investor Stories. Fantastic, Simon.
0: Thank you. Have a great, great week ahead, Simon. Thank you.